Howdy folks, welcome to Sketchy Conversations with John Mills on the 4th. Today's episode, we're talking with Cruz Omega Soul about being an indie artist in California, his creative process, and other topics in this episode. So, how's it looking out in California? Oh man, it is uh, quite interesting, you know. It's looking cloudy, ultimately. <laughs> yeah, because of the fire, right? Yeah, the fires have been pretty crazy out here. It's uh, it's been pretty intense, pretty interesting, you know. You know for a few days, it was uh, rain and ash. Uh, I think like a week. Yikes! A week though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just like every day, rain and ash. I mean, one day's enough already, but a week though? Good lord! Yeah, it's shocked me. I've never experienced anything like that, you know. I'm... I'm still learning California, you know. It's been most of my life on the East Coast. Oh, okay, because I was about to ask, where are you from, California, or where are you from? I'm from uh, D.C. and Baltimore. You know, I usually say both because I was born in D.C., but uh, I was raised in Baltimore and spent most of my life in Baltimore and also Virginia. So totally DMV over here, huh? Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, repping repping the DMV. You Literally, know? I'm not. I'm not trying to do a uh, a Tupac where uh, <laughs> come to California now. It's, it's all California, you know. Oh yeah. So which part of Virginia were you in? Uh, I lived about. Uh, about nine years in a uh, small part of Virginia called Bedford. Oh, where? And, uh, yeah, it's by Lynchburg and Roanoke. It's in between Lynchburg and Roanoke, and it's a small rinky-dink town. Hmm. So, it's called Bedford, right? Or Redford? Uh, Bedford. Oh, Bedford, okay. So, how'd how'd you end up in Bedford? Uh, my, uh, family wanted to, uh, move out of the turbulent, uh, inner city of Baltimore. You know, Baltimore in the 90s was pretty wild, you know, to say the least. You know, the, the murders were up and, uh, living in the inner city was not conducive to raising a family. So, you know, moving to a, uh small town like that definitely changes the perspectives of family life and, you know, just living a safer life in general. So, how'd you move up to the West Coast? Um, most of my life, I I kind of, uh, I always wanted to live in California, you know, I, uh, you know, because I spent my adolescence doing a lot of reading, and I, I read about a lot of different places, and I always liked the California landscape, uh, the type of things that California offered, you know, the fact that there was no winter, because I hate winter, so that was, that was a major plus, and, uh, after, you know, after a while... I uh, you 
know, decided to make a plunge, you know, and, uh, you know, having been an artist for so long on the East Coast, you know, with nothing too major popping off, I wanted to try and, you know, see what the West Coast had to offer, what California had to offer in terms of being an artist and trying to network and get to the next level. I feel you. So which part of California are you in right now? I live in uh, L.A. County, uh, more specifically uh, West Covina. You know, it's about, uh, let's say about 22 miles away from L.A. And uh, with no traffic, it's about 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes. Traffic can change that completely into like an hour. So, all depending on traffic. So, what's the landscape like? Because I haven't been to California in like 10 years, but I remember it being very hillish. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, it also depends on, you know, because California is so huge, it really depends on where in California you're at. Uh, When I first moved to California, I was living in Riverside, uh, it was like Riverside, Moreno Valley, and uh, that area isn't uh, isn't as uh, hilly as you would think. Uh, it's a lot of flatlands, a lot of farmland. Uh, it's it's a totally different visual of California than uh, you would think when you think about California. You know, but once you get closer to LA, that's uh, when it starts becoming. Uh, Extremely hilly, you know, and uh, especially L.A. proper, you know, the hills are extreme, and it's it's uh, it's kind of mind-boggling, you know, especially when you're driving, you know, you're driving those uh, alleys with hills, and it's it's pretty, uh, it can be a pretty intense driving experience. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I was out there, I was out like in kind of Malibu, I think it was. And I'm like, it kind of reminded me a little bit like, you know, driving through, you know, like, you know, my family and I would head down south for a family union, stuff like that. And it would be very hillish and everything, you know. And I was, when I was out in California with them, I was like, wow, it kind of reminds me a little bit of like on the way to Lynchburg. Okay, okay. Yes. Mountain Malibu is also completely different visual <laughs> you know California is so huge it it changes up pretty often you know every major area you go to looks completely different and uh, yeah I've, I've been to Malibu a few times and yes yeah, a lot of hills a lot of cliffs you know there's a lot of mountain areas it's intense you know beautiful though yeah because when people say California, it's kind of weird. Like, people, when they say a state, they associate, like, a city with the whole state. We're like, no. It's kind of like when people say <laughs> New York, I'm like, okay, that's that's the five boroughs. also a whole ass upstate New York, too. Also, there's, you know, right. Buffalo, New York, too, which, you know. So, same thing with California, where it's like, you know, it's like, okay, Los Angeles is not the entire state. You also have Bakersfield. You also have Sacramento. <laughs> exactly. You also have other stuff, too, where it's a vastly different demographic. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So, 
Okay, so how has COVID-19 affected the music community there? Oh, man. It's, uh, uh, specifically for me, it's kind of, uh, stopped a lot of my, uh, kind of stopped a lot of my musical endeavors sort of immediately, you know, because, uh, me, I like to, I'm a big fan of live performances, uh, big fan of, of performing with live bands and when the pandemic hit you know all of that was immediately shut down all the places to perform you know linking up with other musicians uh, places to record all of that stuff was immediately shut down and uh, yeah that's that's made it pretty hard to really connect you know everything has just been uh, trying to see what can happen uh, via technology, which, you know, for me is still a learning curve, you know, because I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not a part of the, you know, there's a lot of aspects of what I do that's still kind of manual, so trying to turn everything into technology-based has been a learning curve, you know, and it's been a slow process. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I started messing around with certain programs and everything, right? I'm like, okay, um, I'm going to figure out how to work this damn thing. And this is one of those things where you just kind of go day by day. Or just go on YouTube and find a tutorial with a, an obnoxious host and everything. Try to scroll back two or three minutes later. And like, okay, so here's the part I'm looking for. That kind of deal. You know? Mm -hmm. So how did the name Cruise Omega Soul come about? Oh man. Um uh the, the beginning of it came uh when I was a teenager. I had um these uh teenage Spanish tutors and uh on one of our uh on one of our meetups we uh I had asked the question. I was like, oh, "If I was, uh, if I had a Latin name, what do you think would be like? You know, based off of my personality, what do you think my uh, my the Latin version, or what would you think I would be named if I was, you know, Latin or Spanish name?" And they gave me the the nickname Cruz. It was like, "Oh, Cruz, you look like you'd be named Cruz," and I was like, "Oh, cool, cool." And so from that, um, uh, my favorite color was blue. So then I gave myself the nickname Cruz Azul. And then from that, uh, you know, I always wanted to, uh, through my art, become a legend, you know, and build a legacy. So I also took the name Legend. And in... Uh, Spanish that is Lahenda. So then uh for a while I became Cruz Azul Lahenda. And uh that was basically and this was while I was living in Virginia. So this is where I was kind of toying with that moniker. And then when I moved back from Virginia to Baltimore and I began my college days in Baltimore. I uh, 
try to develop a more cohesive name. And uh, me being a soul artist, you know, I was trying to figure out something that could incorporate uh, my love of soul expression, soul music. So, uh, uh, I believe Omega meaning last, you know, so I was kind of like, I'm part of this last dying breed of uh, expressionists, you know, making honest art, you know, art that reflects the time, that reflects honest expressions, that reflects the people, you know, and so uh, I, I kind of was like, uh, I could be the last soul artist, so uh, it became Cruise of Your Soul. It's, uh, and uh, once, you know, I started uh, giving that name to people in college, and I started a college band, it became even more solidified. And I was like, okay, this, this name could work. And uh, a lot of people thought it was catchy, so I just kept it. So that was dope. What was the name of the band? The uh, name of the college band I was in was called... Uh, at first, we would call it Dynasty. And then we changed our name to In the Last Minute. You ever record anything? Yeah. We, uh, we recorded uh, one demo song. That was... That was it. We had a lot of ideas, but a lot of the members in the band, it was like four of us, two of the members in the band who were the main musicians, they weren't really, they weren't really focused on having a career in it. So that kind of made it hard, especially when I was focused on having a career in music and uh, the other guy that was in the band, he was also focused in it. But because they weren't focused, it was pretty hard to keep the band together. And after a while, it just kind of faded out. And I began doing the solo thing. You and the other members more serious about it, still in contact? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're still in contact. We're still, still cordial, you know. Kind of moved from being close friends to being, like, friend associates, you know. Every now and then, comments on some Facebook message or something but uh, yeah not as close as it used to be you know but uh, me and the other guy who was uh, basically the main guy who put the band together me and him are still tight uh, he was a uh, pianist and a rapper and I was the lead singer then we had a guitar player and then we had a bass player So what's your creative process like? Um, it's been uh, it's been uh, it's been up and down. It's been up and down. Uh, as far as like the creative process and putting together an album, it's been a while since I did that because I haven't managed to really get a cohesive working ability in California. But I've released a lot of albums from uh, a lot of the work I did in Baltimore. 
And uh, that creative process usually starts with sort of a, a theme. You know, when it comes to making an album, I start with like a theme. You know, what is the theme that I want to approach? And then from the theme, I begin to work with a few different producers in deciding what the sound of the album is going to be like. And then once I sort of get some instrumentation ideas, uh, then I start working on topics of songs. And uh, it starts moving pretty quickly after that. You know, I get the beat. I'm able to write to it pretty quickly, get into the studio, and start recording the songs pretty quickly. So it's it's been kind of like that. It was like that for some years before I... Uh, moved to California. The process has been a little bit different. Out here the process has been uh, a bit slower. Uh, before the pandemic hit, I did. I was uh, working on trying to release my first album in California. And uh, I was getting pretty close, but then the pandemic came and just kind of put a pause on that. So... I'm hoping at some point I'll be able to start that back up, but it's it's going to be hard without musicians because I don't specifically play any instruments good enough for it to be the album version of a song. So it's been uh, the process has been slow in California. But you recorded like a really good amount of albums when you're in Baltimore, though. It's like what, like six, seven albums. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. god damn. I was putting in work. Yes. You know, I had a lot to say. <laughs> yes. Like, what was the process of those? You know, I mean, even though every album was different, was was there a common thread there? Um, hmm. I think the, the common thread was probably every time that I entered a, a new stage in my life, it was followed by an album. And so that's one of the reasons why a lot of the albums sound different, you know. So the the first album that I did was uh, Social Nova, and I began writing that while I was still in college. And that was kind of my super conscious stage. So it's really, really intense material, you know, I'm talking about you know, unplugging from technology and I'm talking about, uh, you know, these really deep, conscious, sort of uh, out there uh, topics, you know, I'm talking about abortion, I'm talking about uh, a lonely life of being the president and you're black, I'm talking about dreams and illusions. It's really, uh, <laughs> it's really intense stuff. What'd you record it? Uh, I recorded it, uh, I recorded it with a few different, uh, people that had studios. This was before I had a, uh, before I had a specific collaborator. Uh, a guy that I met in, college 
whose name is uh, Graffiti Tech. He was the the main guy that produced all of the instrumentals, you know. So it was kind of like a Talib Kweli and High Tech collaboration, you know, where he, he supplies all the beats. I do all of the vocals. And I still wasn't fully into just being just a singer. So there's me doing a lot of rapping on there as well. So I'm rapping, I'm singing. And, uh, yeah, it's, you know, I still love the album. But, uh, you know, uh, it's probably not as, you know, regular jamming friendly, you know. Which that whole... uh, because of that, the second album that I would put out would be completely different, you know. Because while I was working on that album, the photographer that did the art for that album, he was like, oh, you don't have any uh, music for women. Like, there's no music that women can listen to and, you know, jam to. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. Noted. So... The next album that I did after that would specifically be about that. Did you ever muse or anything like that? Um, not exactly. Not exactly. I know I did, uh, at that time I had just gotten married, so that probably would have influenced a lot of the the love song that I had on there. Because the uh, the name of the album was called Soulbound Love Seeker. So that was a... Uh, yeah, that was a uh, pretty... pretty interesting record. And that's also the, uh, the album where I met my consistent uh, producer and collaborator. So from from that second album, I began to work with the same people on uh, every album to follow. So who who are like your biggest influences? You know, growing up, currently, you know, like what are your roots like creatively? You know, um, my biggest influences were. Uh, Curtis Mayfield, Michael Jackson, and Sade. Those were sort of my initial influences. As I got older, um, Chaos, uh, who does like rap, rock, and sings, kind of mixes all those genres together. I take a lot of influence from him. Because, you know, that's kind of what I try to do. That's also why I like Michael Jackson so much as well. Because he also mixes multiple genres. You know, he's not just in one box. Um, Topic-wise, also, uh, most Def. Really love most Def. And uh, style-wise, there's some influences from, like, Neo and Usher. You know, and I kind of mix all of those sort of... Uh, styles and sounds together to sort of create my own sound. What do you think you learned from all those artists you mentioned? 
Um, uh, I would say every artist sort of taught me a different thing. You know, um, I mean, Michael Jackson is sort of the the image for every artist and musical artist to follow. You know, just the, the grandeur, the passion in the music, the, the legacy, you know. Um, Curtis Mayfield, uh, I kind of learned the... Uh, the idea that you don't have to be, you know, as great a singer to produce soulful music, you know, because Curtis Mayfield wasn't that great a singer, but the music that he was able to produce and create is still legendary and it's still soul felt, you know, and uh, it's 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 pretty amazing. Uh, the last album that he put out before he died. Uh, I believe it was in the late 90s. Uh, it was called New World Order. It's one of my favorite albums still to this day. You know, he recorded most of that album while he was paralyzed. So it's pretty uh, inspiring, you know, just to know that he was that dedicated to the art that he would still have the energy to put out an album, you know, while he's his body is paralyzed. Like, that's... It's deep, you know. Uh, I, I learned a lot of soul sounds from Sade. Um, chaos, I learned, uh, it just kind of reiterated my idea of being able to mix multiple genres in an album, you know, and to have albums sound differently and not be able to be pigeonholed into one sound. You know, because one of the things that I was trying not to be was just an R&B artist because I didn't want to be that, you know. So kind of just, you know, fell into the alternative, you know, soul sort of category. This would probably be the easiest way to describe it. Oh, yeah. Because I was about to ask, how would, you, how would you describe your sound? I was just about to ask that. Yes, yes. Alternative neo-soul. That's... You know, because otherwise, I would just be listening a whole bunch of different genres, and I feel like uh, I feel like that classifies it pretty simply. You know, because that's one artist I don't really hear that much about. You know, is Chaos, because that, you know, he's from Canada, right? Yes, yes. Thought so. That's a name I don't hear often because I remember. It, I say like mid two thousands, right? I remember his run, and I don't think he really got his due as an artist, though. Man, that's hundred percent, man. I've I've always thought that, you know. And I'm just like, this guy's out here doing it. Talking about innovation, taking risks with different sounds, you know, being a black artist and doing rock and still rapping and still singing. And dancing, this guy was doing it all. Oh, yeah. You know, at one point he even collaborated with uh, with Drake. He did. You know, yes. And it's like, you know, this guy is out here doing it, but you know, unless you're a really big fan of music, it's probably unlikely that you even heard of Chaos. 
I do remember him, you know, I kind of wonder where he went to because I feel like, you know what, I feel we can, I feel like he didn't ha I felt like he had more to say, but, you know, for whatever reasons, it was kind of shortened, you know. Yeah. I right. agree. You shot some videos too for some of your projects, right? Yes. Well, interestingly enough, uh, all the videos that I shot uh, are all for one album. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Randomly enough, it, it ended up being that way. But yeah, all the music videos that I have, they're all for one album. And that's what I used to call my master album. Because this specific album, which is called Life Change, it took me the longest to make. It took me two years to make. And it encompassed a lot of the Baltimore artists that I had respected. You know, I got them to help collaborate on the album. And uh, yeah, it was... I was super proud of it, you know, so, you know, I wanted to, you know, create visuals for the album, and so, yeah, that's that's how it ended up being, you know. The uh, last video that I shot for that album was when I first moved out to California, and uh, I shot, like, a dance video in Santa Monica, and that was the last video I had for that album. So I remember one of them had a kind of Baltimore club feel. Yes, yes. That was the first video that I shot for that album. And that was uh that was right after the album came out in two thousand sixteen. I was digging at one because it reminded me of like um listening to ninety two Q when I was younger, you know. Ah uh, yes, yes. Yeah. I wanted to sort of pay homage to uh Baltimore, you know, because I hadn't I hadn't done that previously in all of my works leading up to that, so I was like, uh, yeah, I want to pay homage to Baltimore. So, producer, the way that the song went, um, what I did was I recorded some vocals a cappella, and the producer Graffiti Tech, he went and used that a cappella, and remixed it, and that's how. Uh, song came into fruition hmm. cool so what was the uh, filming like you know for you know what was the filming like for those videos like you know any interesting background stories you know uh yes well uh my initial plan was for each video i wanted to have uh i wanted to have the producer make a cameo you know is is kind of like a running theme like I have this video and then the producer makes a cameo in the video sort of to pay respects to the producer that helped craft everything and uh, every video was was kind of a, a different feel the first video that I shot was actually a um, it was a kind of on-the-whim video because originally I had this whole huge idea. It was probably too huge for <laughs> what I had the ability to do. 
because I have a pretty intense imagination, but I had this huge idea of this sort of thriller x thriller esque theme of like uh like a girl getting possessed and me having to save her. And there was supposed to be a whole bunch of other people that were gonna be there and there was gonna be like a dance break and I was gonna have some break dancers and all of that. And uh so everything was going well. I had all this planned. Everybody had agreed to do it. And on the day, uh, which was a super cold day, randomly, in the video it doesn't look that cold, but it was super cold. But uh, on the day, nobody showed up, and a bunch of people were running super late. And I had already paid the videographer, and I was just like, damn. Nobody is here. The only person that showed up was the producer and this one dancer. And so me and the videographer came up with the idea to just uh, do the video with us. Okay. And so we basically just did sort of like a, a pseudo dance video. And that's what ended up being uh, the video that uh, you see, which was the the murderous song, which is the the Baltimore Club song. It was a good tune, actually. I enjoyed it. You know, you know, I've always been fascinated by like how like the making of stuff. You know, like okay, remember the Jamiroquai video for Virtual Insanity? Oh, yes, with the walls and the floor. Yeah, you know the original ending for that, right? I do not. The original ending actually. The walls were also to be like covered in blood and everything, right? But what happened was the pipe. Oh, wow. Exactly. The pipe broke, right? So you see this leaking in the background? It was actually mistaken. It was just so. Uh, fuck it. Just keep it in. <laughs> you know? So it was <laughs> It was more of a. It was a bit more punier than they anticipated, right? But it worked though because the video ended up being iconic anyway because, you know, the way it was filmed. So. That stuff like that happens, you know. Oh, yeah. You know, that was so it was iconic video either way, actually. You know, and truth be told, I think the original, I think the original ending would have kind of killed it, though. You know, maybe I I can't, I don't know if that, I don't know if that goes that well with the song. I mean, maybe it would have looked different. Yeah, it would have looked way more how they approached it, it looked way more sinister, you know. Yeah, but it definitely would have took the uh, the lightness <laughs> out of it. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, wow, it was good until this scene at the end of it. Like, whoa, I was really, this is the virtual. Whoa, 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 hold on a second now. Whoa, this is, this is not. Like, wait, what the, what the hell is this song about? Exactly, you know, shoot. <laughs> That's like my favorite kind of videos are the ones the alternate version of a video or, or unreleased ones for whatever reasons. You know? Mm. So, I'm glad yours came out, though, you know? But, you know, the thing about it is it came out pretty cool anyway, and, you know, I still feel they captured the essence of the song, though. You know? Appreciate that. Appreciate that. You know? Alright, so, do you prefer live musicians or be or producers slash makers? Which one do you prefer working with? Um, for performances, I prefer 
live musicians. Uh, for recording songs, I usually prefer producers. Um, but uh, I have done have done both for the uh, the 2016 Life Change album that I did. I actually had a live musician do uh, a couple of songs on that album. And uh, that was a pretty cool experience. Her name is Randy. And uh, yeah, that was, it was pretty dope. I thought those songs came out good. I feel like they still hold up pretty decently. But uh, there's, there's nothing like performing with live instruments, you know. It's just like you can feel the vibrations. And that, that gets me hyped. You know, I hate performing with tracks. You know, which I feel like is also a downfall you know, for me as an artist, because a lot of artists perform with tracks, and they can perform their singles frequently and pretty easily, but uh, when you're sort of dependent on having musicians play, you know, it becomes a bit more hectic, and it's not as frequent as just you performing with a track, you know, but I feel like with live musicians, you know, it's more special, you know, you can feel the song better, a lot of times you can do alternate versions of the song and, uh, you know, sort of give a different take on it, especially if you've been performing the song for a while. It's like, I've been performing it for a while. I want to kind of do a different take on it, you know. I want to make it maybe faster or maybe I want to make it slower depending on my mood. You know, I've always been the type of artist to do that. And there's more room for improvisation with live musicians, you know. Exactly. And like, you know, like, you know, and it's one of those things where, okay, like, for example, one time during rehearsal, we were just kind of like, you know, we're just jamming on that song. It's a vibe by, I forgot who it was by, but it featured two chains in Janaiko, right? And we're just kind of jamming on it. Like, that's not really our main style, but it was just kind of fun just kind of messing around with that, you know? But it's something about that yeah. where, you know, when you're dealing with like a live drummer or a live bass player or in a live keyboards or guitars or whatever, you know, it's just something about that feeling, you know, it's that synergy amongst bandmates. It's a, it creates something special, you know. I feel that. I feel that completely. You know, but what's like that scene out there, like you know, in California though? It was like you know, I always imagine a bit more like mercenary side, you know, a bunch of full of mercenary musicians or guys like that, you know. Like, what's that scene? Is it like, what's it compared to the Baltimore scene? You know, what's the comparison, though? Uh, I gotta say, at the moment, um, uh, for me, I guess because I spent more time in Baltimore and I was able to build a collective of musicians that I could work with, so it was a whole lot more fluid, you know, and because I had been performing so long in Baltimore sort of had an underground variety you know whereas coming out here I'm completely unknown you know and it's a lot harder to work with musicians especially because at least what I've experienced there's a lot of musicians that are really strictly into doing rock I, I don't know why randomly it's, it's only rock but it's like specifically rock hard metal and you know not really willing to budge you know off of that and that's been 
pretty difficult in trying to do what I'm trying to do, you know, and I'm trying to mesh soul, you know, and a lot of times make softer style music. And uh, I've worked with some musicians when I lived in Riverside, which is like like 60 miles away from L.A., and uh, it, it went okay, you know, at least... For me, I would say that uh, the collective is a whole lot tighter in Baltimore than it is out here, and uh, you know, it's just so much, it's just so bigger, so much bigger out here, you know. So it's kind of hard to really find that crowd that I could fit in, especially because you know I, I do a lot of multi-genre sounds, so it's it's really hard to find that specific collective. And then with the pandemic hitting also, it's even harder because, you know, people don't want to meet up, you know, or, you know, a lot of people are paranoid or you can't meet up or there's, you know, not places where you can perform because all these places are closed. It's, it's made it a whole lot challenging. So, uh, I don't know, the music scene, it hasn't really been as enticing so far as I hoped it to be. You know, it's kind of funny because I was thinking like, I, I see where you're coming from musically and I was thinking like, if I'm one of the rock guys out there, right, I'm kind of surprised that there wasn't like a cross between like, okay, because where you're kind of coming from, where they're coming from, it just makes sense if there was like a compromise of like a psychedelic soul background, you know. You know, mm -hmm. like kind of what the Temptations were doing in the 60s or this other thing called Black Murder. Oh, right. You know. So, or like even like when yeah. Funkadelic was doing that, I'm kind of surprised it wasn't like right. a combination of those sounds, you know. You know, or like another good example is like okay, we mentioned really like, like the more abrasive guitar guys and everything, right? With your sound, one thing I think of is like 24/7 Spies actually, because there were certain albums when they were like straight up metal doing stuff that predated Slipknot, and oh. Then also, like, I mean, it was like straight double bass madness, but it was soulful at the same time. <laughs> like, okay, there's, a, okay. there's a song by 27 Spy called Yeah Three Times, right? And I think it featured dude from, um, damn, it's a band from uh, Texas. I forgot, the King's Axe, right? And the thing about it is on the other half of that song, it was like more on the R&B side, but it was hard as hell. So... It wow. was okay. this combination of sounds, so it's kind of surprised it wasn't a compromise between those. You know? Yeah, you know? It's also shot, you know? Because also, I um, the, the last album that I was trying to do before the pandemic hit was uh, I'm trying to get into making, like, folk soul. You know, that's kind of the, the next theme for my next album is... Uh, folk mixed with soul and uh, yeah it's, it's it's been hard trying to find musicians that can uh, collaborate with something like that that's the other shock too because another one of the major prom another prominent sound that came out of California was really that that West Coast folk sound you know so mm -hmm. I'm kind of surprised by that you know 
So, you know, I would think, because I remember the Troubadour was like that spot for all the folk artists were, you know. Of course, this isn't 1970s anymore, but, you know, you think there's... <laughs> hey, there'll be some... It's been a long time since. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> it's like, but like the fingerprints of that, though, I would think that, you know. I mean, there's still fingerprints of certain genres and everything, you know. So, I was kind of surprised, you know, that hasn't, like, you know, even unconsciously influenced stuff, you know, like... Even if you're like an artist, like okay, like okay, out of DC, right? Even if you don't do go go, right? There's still gonna be this weird feel or sound that might be reminiscent of it. They don't don't even realize it, you know. It's so deeply ingrained in stuff. That's true. You know. That's true. Yeah, it's funny. I've never been a fan of go go. You know, perhaps that's, uh, you know, perhaps I'm a, I'm a victim of of listening to too much pop in my earlier days, but I never, I never was a fan of go-go and oddly enough, I never was a fan of Baltimore club music. You know, you know, it's like every now and then a go-go song, I'd be like, okay, they, they incorporated the sound smooth enough to where it doesn't feel like a regular go-go beat, but you know, it's still considered within the genre. And they would be the same way for Baltimore Club, but a lot of the standard stuff I don't dig, you know, because it sounds a lot, it sounds the same, you know. And I hate, uh, I hate when songs are always sounding the same, you know. That's probably why I'm into so many genres because I don't like to be stagnant, you know. I listen to so many genres, and then I also try and make, you know, music with a lot of genres that influence it. Exactly, because, you know, the thing about Go-Go was, like, you know, it wasn't really about, like, songwriting, song structure, actually. It was that sound, and, been trying to f and people have been trying to figure out how to incorporate elements, you know. I think I kind of mm -hmm. figured it out, but, you know, the other bands, like, okay, Black Alley, for example, you know, where I call this stuff, like, post-Go-Go or Pogo, you know. You know, somebody called it, though. Um, but it was this elements of that, you know. I think a lot of people haven't figured out how to pull it off properly, though. I mean, there's a way, but it's <laughs> right. one of those things where it's almost like, all right, uh, too much cayenne right there. My mouth is numb right now. So let me try this again. <laughs> um, let me try this again. Wow, there. This tastes like I just I just been into a can of um, uh, what's that stuff calling it? Um, Lowry's. That's what it tastes like, you know. <laughs> so is this? They're still trying to figure the formula, and you know, I feel like a lot of times when they're on to something, but, you know, stuff happens, you know, like, it's kind mm -hmm. of fascinating, I keep on thinking about, like, how with every genre is always, like, a rebellion, you know, when, in the 70s, it was a progressive rock thing, and, like, in a glam rock thing, and an overblowed heavy metal thing, so there, ergo, the punk thing, right, when funk was going on, basically, you know, you know, rap is, like, descendant of funk, though, right, so, I've always mm -hmm. been intrigued how there wasn't really, like, an outlaw R&B, though, you know, like I've seen people huh. try it though. Like the closest I could think of is like Bobby Brown. But what are you? What have you been checking out lately, though, musically? Uh, I have been. Two of my favorite artists lately have been uh, Masego and Anderson Pack. Like uh, man, these guys are consistently, you know, inspiring. You know, putting out heat. I wasn't a fan of Anderson Pack's 
two last albums, you know, that was mainly produced by Dr. Dre, you know, I feel like Dr. Dre came in and added too much polish to his uh, work. So it doesn't give that sort of homegrown sound that he had in his albums before he got that big. But he put out a song, uh, Lockdown, that was like a recent song he put out, you know, about uh, just everything that's going on with black people on the riots. And it felt like he was returning back to his style. So I was, that was pretty dope. And uh, Masego is, uh, you know, have you heard Masego? Have you heard Masego? No, not familiar. Fill me in. Yeah, he uh, he's like a a jazz trap singer musician, you know. So he plays a bunch of instruments, and he also does some pseudo rap, and he also sings, hmm. and uh, it's pretty dope, you know. He's incorporating jazz into R and B, into like slight hip hop. It's uh, it's pretty amazing. And, you know, that's that's one of my new favorite artists. I might want to check that out. Yeah. yeah. I'm good. getting more into stuff with like Orville Peck. Actually, it's almost like it's almost like it's it's country, but it's more in the gothic, more darker side. Actually, right? It's almost like really, yeah. It's it's a really weird way to explain it. It's almost like it sounds like somewhere between like Johnny Cash or Roy Orbison that got a song from this guy by the name of Morrissey from this band called The Smiths, right? And okay. it's this kind of weird mash of both where it feels like haunting, but it's something, it's like a whole mood actually, you know, you just kind of put on it though. It's like the lyrics kind of guide you, you know, to like an image, so to speak. Like it's not about a specific topic, you know, but it's kind of like, it is something about it. It just went, it's like it paint it it paints a picture but gives you the brush to finish off stuff. You know? Okay. Okay. That's what I it put that. it. You know. Okay. So but Anderson it's, Pack though. Sounds like a dope feel. Oh yeah. But yeah, it's like, you know, Anderson Pack, I dig his stuff too, because my mom got me into it as well. But also I found some stuff about him. Like finally apparently he's like um dude from Cali, you know. And it, apparently we dig the same kind of, like, you know, punk bands and stuff growing up. Like, he likes stuff like Black Flag and a band called, other band called The Cramps, you know. And okay. for wow. some re- weird reason, I always kind of feel like even if it's an artist outside of an entire genre, you can kind of tell they might like something more than a genre, though. Like, hmm. even if it's nothing like, because his music sounds nothing like Black Flag or The Cramps or whoever, right? But it's something about the mentality or maybe aesthetic or something about there. You can tell that they're listening to more than just the genre they, they're participating in. That's weird. Yeah. So that's what I've been checking out lately, you know. Hmm. That's what's up. That's what's up. You know, I'm, I'm, still, I'm still heavily into hip-hop as well, you know. Still a big fan of Nas, big fan of Lupe, you know. I listen to a lot of quote unquote conscious rap, you know. You know. I'll still dive into game, you know. Still got some cool Tupac tracks I like, you know. Every now and then Snoop Dogg does something decent, you know. Oh yeah. I have a kind of a cool Lupe story actually. You know, he did me a solid a while oh, yeah? back. All right. Oh yeah? 
here's what happened years ago those okay this is you know iconic punk band called bad brains right and okay the lead singer hr he wasn't doing too well you know actually it's kind of weird him okay him being you know then lead singer hr and the guitar player dr no what happened was mm -hmm. they kind of fell ill health wise right with hr he had these things called um suicidal migraines right it's like sunk syndrome Imagine like the worst headaches, right? Imagine like getting like whacked with like a, with, like a sledgehammer, you know, repeatedly Dang. for like maybe somewhere between three seconds to five minutes, you know, Dang. exactly. So it's almost like it makes the migraine sound like a minor pain, apparently, you know. And actually, I, yeah, because I saw him, because uh, actually one of those he had one of those headaches like right in front of me one time, you know, and um. Wow. Yeah, so it was it was pretty brutal, you know. So, point being, um, um, what happened was so you know these guys are like my idols and everything. So what I did was anybody that claimed the ba bad brains as an influence, HR as an influence, I just hit him, at him with the GoFundMe link, you know. Lupe Fiasco mm -hmm. said he always like he always wanted to grow his have his locks out and just start headbanging like it was HR, right? I was like. If you be, so, it's like you mentioned that. So I passed on a link and he actually retweeted it for me. So oh yeah, that's actually pretty cool one to do. You know, he actually liked and retweeted it because I know he tried to do this post punk band called Japanese Cartoon, which nobody really talks. Ah uh, yes, I remember. He never talks about it much. I wish he did more with it. You know, and also speaking of which, like you know. Speaking of guys that did me a solid, actually, like, you know, it was Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, right? When Dr. No was feeling sick, I always felt like there's a strong influence between the styles, right? So I said, listen, mm. I might not like your music, but we both have a common thread music. We both love the music of Bad Brain, especially Dr. No. So if you could, could you pass this link out? So he said, hey, the doctor's ill. And I was like, yo, that really worked. So, you know. Wow. Yeah, so they're really solid dudes and everything, you know. And it's like, you know, like lately rap-wise, I'm going to get more into the more the abrasive dark trap stuff, you know. Because I feel like it's the logical conclusion, or the logical, well, not conclusion, evolution. Um, Like, for example, like we had Drake and everything in doing like a, up it was almost like a new wave, of, a new wave approach to rap and everything. So what was mm -hmm. after new wave? Grunge and hardcore. So right. now you see like a bunch of young rappers basically, you know, not really cares about the surroundings, so they create more abrasive sounds. It's a logical explanation. It's a logical okay. evolution. So I'm really digging that, you know. Who knows where they're gonna go with it, but I hope they keep rolling with it, if that makes sense or not. Okay. I mean they definitely they really uh beaten the trap sound into the ground. Yeah. Cause, you know, it's just like, uh, oh, we still on this? Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. And I said a while back that, like, if y'all don't quit, I tweeted this out. I said, if y'all don't quit fucking around, y'all going to turn trap into disco. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, exactly. At first, it was something <laughs> fresh and vibrant and new and exciting, but then you discoed everything up and then it turned into a parody and a homogenized you know, shell of itself. Same thing with trap, actually, right? I'm like, all right, it's a pretty cool sound, everything, you know, but protect it, evolve it, you know, before it turns into just, 
you know, homogenized background music, you know, because I remember exactly. the first time I heard the term trap, it was actually because it was actually T.I.'s, you know, trap music album, right? It's the first time I heard that oh, term yeah. ever used, you know, same here. And I remember like guys like Drummer Boy, Lex Luger were, you know, were really kind of messing with that sound. Like they really were at the forefront of that, you know. Mm-hmm. So a little bit of Three Six Mafia in there too, but mainly more Drummer Boy than anybody oh, else. Oh, yeah. You know. But anyway, but enough of that though. So where can we find your music though? Uh, all of my albums are available on Bandcamp. Which is uh, cruiseomegasoul.bandcamp.com. Hmm. And that's C R U Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, cool. So, Cruise Omega Soul, like O M E G A Soul. Right? Yes, sir. Cool. All right. Well, Cruise, great chatting with you. You know, hope to have you on the show again sometime, you know. You know, maybe oh, like indeed. you know. It's been a pleasure, man. Oh yeah, great chatting. Thanks. Peace. Oh indeed, man. Until right. next time. Yep. Next time, man. Peace. Peace. Bye. Bye. Check out Cruise Omega Souls music on Bandcamp at cruiseomegasoul.bandcamp.com. <laughs>